0: Heavenly Father, I ask for wisdom and guidance. Help me that I may know you more and live my life the way you want it to be lived. I want to be a part of something greater than myself. I want to help accomplish your mission for the church, to be the hands and feet of Christ here on earth. Lord, I pray that you will help me embrace your purpose for my life, my family, my job, my school, and my church. Let me be a part of a generation that seeks your face, that knows your name, that puts you at the center of our lives. Help me encourage my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that we may build each other up in your word. I can see the great work you're doing in my life and the lives for those around me. Let us fulfill your great commission, doing kingdom work throughout our daily lives. I want to run the race well. Living out your call on my life. And make my life count.
1: Well, it's so good to see everybody. I'm so grateful you're here, and especially those of you who are visiting with us, we've prayed for you. We have. We've prayed for you that you would come today, that God would lead you here, and we hope this is a a wonderful, wonderful experience that you have with the family at Sugar Creek Baptist Church. We're grateful that you're here. You notice this big one that is behind me? This one stands for the idea that all of us have only one life. There's no redo. There's no start over. We've got one life in this flesh to live. Now, the very moment that our body dies, Jesus said everyone that knows him and believes in him immediately will leave that body, go immediately into the presence of Jesus Christ. That There's no death for those who believe in him and love him. And I know that to be true. But our body does die, and we only have one shot in this body, in this life, and we've got to make the most of it. And that's the whole idea of the series that we're in, Make Your Life Count. And in fact, this is a four-part series. And the first part that we talked about a couple of weeks ago was, what is the point of life? What is this whole thing about? And really, there's at least four goals that God gives to us in His Word this is what I want to do in and through your life. This is what I'm trying to do in you. We talked about those, and we talked about how we could be successful in each one of them. Last week was a little different because we went after this idea that everyone who becomes involved in church their life is blessed, that they live a better life. They live a more happy life. And I demonstrated that both from Scripture, what the Bible teaches, but also from the studies that have been made about those who are very involved in church versus those who are not. And it is amazing the difference. It's it's amazing how different the family is, the the marriage is, the kids are. It is just an amazing difference that happens when we really connect our heart to the family of God. This morning I want to talk to you about seeing our resources through different eyes. And by resources I mean the, the, the... The talents we have, the abilities that we have, the spiritual gifts that we've been given, our time and financial resources. All these things that God has given us, our resources, seeing them through different eyes. Now the truth is, I talk a great deal about our abilities and talents and using those for God and ministry to God and others. I talk a great deal. I try to work that concept in as often as I can in the messages that I teach because I do know this is part of the way we grow spiritually being involved in ministry using our talents and our abilities and our spiritual gifts and our time to bless God and others. And let me tell you if, you, if you are not doing that, I hope that you'll consider, hey, sometimes in a church this size, they think, hey, they don't need my help at Sugar Creek. But the truth is, we actually do. You're going to see a lot of people with t-shirts, I've seen them everywhere, that say, get your serve on. Hey, all those that have that T-shirt on, would you stand right now? Once you see all those T-shirts in this service, see all those? You know what those are about? These are people that are in ministry in serving in this church. Now there's a whole bunch more people that are in ministry and serving this church that do not have a T-shirt on. Not just these, but they're wearing the T-shirt today to sort of Say to everybody that's not a part of ministry, hey, this would be something that would really bless your life to, for you to serve God and others in the life of our church. And if you have an interest, how about going out into the commons area, you'll see that big playscape, and on the right-hand side, you will see the next step center. Go to the next step center and talk to one of our ministers. They'll help you find a place where you could serve. Now, I talk about that a lot, but what I don't talk about very often is our financial resources. I talk about it one to two times the most on a given, on a normal year, and I have not talked about it this year myself, so I'm going to do that today. I want to talk to you about the issue of seeing your financial resources through different eyes. There was a a woman who called her pastor and said to their pastor, I don't know, pastor, did you know that my husband, Joe, had a heart attack and is in the hospital in the past. She said, no, I did not know that. And she said, it's true. He's in the hospital right now, and he's going to have surgery uh, in a, maybe a few weeks or so, not right now, but um, uh, I, I wanted you to be aware, and I've got a special problem. You see, the doctor has told me that I cannot say anything to Joe that might excite him. You know, any topic in which he may struggle with. And the problem is, we just won a contest and won $2 million in the contest. And the pastor said, I can't believe it. She said, it's just amazing. It's unbelievable, but I can't tell Joe. But I have to tell him. It's part of the contest. I have to tell him. We've got to respond. And she said, so I need your help. The pastor said, I'll do whatever you need. She said, meet me at the hospital. I need you to communicate to Joe we won $2 million without causing him to have a heart attack. So they meet downstairs in the lobby. They go upstairs uh, to Joe's room. And the pastor has gotten this whole thing figured out. I know what I'm going to do. And so he is tall, small talk. And then he starts talking about, okay, tell me about what happened with the heart attack. And they're just talking. After a little while, the pastor says to Joe, just for laughs, just for laughs. I, I'm just curious what, what you would be thinking. If just for laughs you'd got, came into $2 million, what would you do with the money? And Joe said, I I don't even have to think twice. Pastor, I can tell you, the first million goes to my church. And the pastor died of a heart attack right then and there. (laughs) If you want to test me with a million dollars, just test me. I'm ready. I'm prepared. There's a passage of Scripture in... uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, that is one of the great passages in the Bible about money, about our our resources, and about responding correctly to those resources. And I've I've been here almost 17 years. I've never even taught from this passage. So this morning, I want to teach from this passage, 1 Timothy chapter 6. And the first principle that we see in the passage is God gives us money to meet our needs, but warns us about the traps. And notice what he says in verse 8, 1 Timothy 6 verse 8. If we have enough money and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Money is not evil. Money's good. If money wasn't good, why are so many people that are breadwinners in this room working so hard to get money? Money's not evil. Money is good. We need money. We need money to buy food. We need money to buy clothes. We need money to put a roof over our heads and a safe place to sleep at night. We need money for transportation. With money, you can buy tickets to an Astros game. How could that be bad? I'm just telling you, Money is not bad. Money is actually good. It's the love of money. It is the love of money that brings all different kinds of evil. That is what the verse is actually saying. It is longing to be rich. It is having this attitude of craving money so that Everything I think, everything I talk about, everything that I dream about somehow has some component of money to it. It is that kind of a mindset that we allow into our heart. That is what he's talking about in this passage of Scripture. He says it causes us to wander away. That word wonder means to leave the path. We're on a path, we're on a right path, going in the right direction. And to wander actually means that we leave the path and it's so subtle we don't even know we leave the path. Until we have gone so far away from the path, we have wandered away. And what causes then, what happens then is that it causes sorrow deep-seated sorrow to come into our life. What kind of sorrows? Well, look at what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped, are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them, plunge them into ruin and destruction. So what are these traps? Well, trap number one is this. Thinking that, having more money and things, makes me happier. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 10 says, whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. The Bible really is talking about money in this kind of way, that money has a built-in law of diminishing returns. There is a point in which getting more and more money really brings a sense of happiness because we can take care of basic needs, but there is a point in which we cross over, we sort of crest, and now money actually takes us down the other side. Just think of it in this term. If money is the source of happiness, you would have to think that the people that have the most money are the happiest people in the world. But if you read the stories, the lives of the rich and famous, you will know that is not true. You will know there is so much brokenness. There is so much heartache. There, there, mostly marriages get broken up. They're just, lives are destroyed. What about the guy in prison that died in prison this week and has been all over the news, the corruption and the brokenness of this guy has so much money. No, it is a trap to believe I will be happier if I get more money. It's a trap. Second of all, the trap number two is this, having more money will make my life more successful. And this is part of our culture. Just to be honest, this is part of the way our culture thinks we, we've been born and bred into this and we, we sort of get into it. Somebody would ask you the question, do you know somebody that's really successful and more times than not, that would be interpreted, do you know a rich person? I, yeah, I know some people that are rich. Yeah, I, got, I know these people. And more times than not, that's how we interpret, you know some people that have been really successful? But listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Don't always be wishing for what you don't have, for real life and real living are not related to to how rich we are. If we allow our self-worth to be entwined with our net worth, there is sorrow coming into our life. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying. There is damage on the way. The third trap is this, that my family is better off having more money. Well, there is a basic need of money. All of us feel it food and clothing and everything else. I have never, not one time, ever met anybody who just got a giant raise who was sad. Have you ever met anybody? Just got a big raise, and I am so sad about it. Have you ever met anybody like that? I've never met anybody like that. Everybody's so happy. Yay, God. And I understand that. But did you know that every national study, and I brought some to your attention over the years, that there are national studies about how much does a family really need financially, and it's just happiness, it's help because there's basic needs, but when does it sort of crest and start going on the other side? When does that happen in which actually more money begins to be destructive in the life of that family? the law of diminishing returns. And I think it's here. You ready? Our money becomes a negative when it begins to own us instead of us own it. Our money begins to be a negative when it begins to own us instead of us owning it. And here's what i got to say to you. God may have blessed some with a ton of money and That those people are still just trusting God, not the money. But others who have very little and they're trusting still the money, not God. It's not how much money you have, it is how much the money has you. You see the idea? Richard DeVos, who uh, is the founder of Amway, he's a billionaire made the statement, money cannot buy peace of mind. It cannot heal relationships or build meaning to a life that has none. In other words, the most important parts of life money cannot do. Coming to a place in which our personal contentment is not connected to money, is the greatest place of peace and well being we can ever imagine. Coming to a place in which I can be content with my life, I can be so much at peace in my life, and it has not connected to money is the greatest place you could ever reach. And teaching your children that they could reach that sweet spot too, in which it's not money. That brings peace and contentment. Does it mean that we, we don't try to, to do better and get promotions? No, I'm not saying that at all. But it does mean this, that whether those promotions or that more money comes or it doesn't, it has not affected my peace. It has not affected my contentment. Because it would never bring contentment in my life Anyway, this is the idea of 1 Timothy 6.6 when it says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. If you could reach this place in which you're contented, not on the basis of money, but on the basis of your walk with God, of life, and there is integrity and character in your life, godliness, godliness with contentment, this is great gain. So the first principle is this, that God gives us money to meet our needs, but warns us about the traps. There's a second principle in the passage, and here it is. God wants to be the source of our life. Not money, not money the source, God wants to be the source of our life. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 and 18, listen to what he says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain, but instead put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. Now there's two key words that he has inserted into this passage that are the two key words of the Bible's solution to the traps of money. It's God and generosity. God and generosity are the two remedies that the Bible gives to us to keep us from falling into money traps. So the first one is God. And he says this, no matter how much money you have or how little money you have, no matter which it is, this is a gift from God. If I don't have a lot, it's a gift from God. If I have a lot, it's a gift from God. God is the author and the giver of all that we have And God knows what we need, and God knows what we can handle, and God has particular purposes for the gift He gives us, however much that is. You see, loving money isn't isn't automatically, oh, he's got a lot of money, he must love money. No, he or she can have a lot of money, but not love money, love God, and God is their source. Or... Exactly the other way around. You and I can fall into the traps no matter how much or how little we have. Learning to look to God instead of our money. And here is what I wish. Oh, I wish I would have had this written in your student notes today and rats. I didn't, but I'm going to say it twice. When we put our hope in God, it means that we are willing to obey whatever God tells us to do. Why? Because God's my source. God, whatever you tell me to do, the answer is yes. Why? Because you are my source, not the money. You're my source. So I don't have to hoard my money. I don't have to say, oh, you can't touch my money, because he is the source of the money in the first place. So when it is that we see God as our source, we are willing to obey whatever God tells us to do, because we know he's the source. When we begin to trust God financially. We begin to live with a confidence others do not have. There is something that happens inside of us. There is a unique peace. When our bottom line is not connected to our self-worth, there is a peace and a confidence that happens in our life that others do not experience. Now notice what he says in 1 Timothy 6 verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world. So is that you? Well, everybody in the room say, of course not. I am no Bill Gates. Of course I'm not rich. But if you've ever been on a mission trip to anywhere, you know you are rich. So I'm going to give you the test, okay? Uh, There is a study done about literally everything in the world. And this study was how can you tell if you are wealthy in this world? And so I'm going to take, take you through the test. you got to participate. I'm watching. Here we go. Are you ready? Third, how you answer three questions will determine how rich you are. You ready? Here's the first one. Do you have food in your refrigerator? How many of you have a refrigerator? And you have food in your refrigerator. Okay, there we go. Okay. Second, do you have clothes on? How many of you have clothes on? And we're deeply grateful. Thank you so much. (laughs) But that's just part A. Part B is, and you have a whole nother set of clothing somewhere in your house. How many of you could say that? I've got clothes on, and I have more clothing at my house. Okay, there we go. Here is the third one. Do you have a roof over your head at night, and do you sleep in a safe place? Would you raise your hand? I sleep in a safe place. i got a roof over my hand. Look at you. Did you know that all of you who raised your hand, in this room I saw hands literally everywhere, you are richer than 75% of the people alive on planet earth right now. You have a refrigerator. You have food in the refrigerator. You have two sets of clothes at least. Some of you have 500 pairs of shoes and you know it. (laughs) And you've got a house. And you are safe at night. 75% of the people on planet earth cannot say that. Here's another one. This This is another telltale sign here. You ready? Do you have... Any money in a bank, a checking account, or a savings account, or money under your mattress, or in a piggy bank somewhere. A piggy bank. How many of you have money? In a piggy bank, under a mattress, you get, okay. You are richer than 92% of the people on planet Earth. You, you, you are. I am looking at a group of people that are filthy rich in this room. Look at you. I am. I'm looking at. And do you know what? You can't go anywhere else on the face of this earth and have the same tests and have a whole room full of people and everybody's raising their hand. You you can't go anywhere on the planet Earth except America. The United States of America. And I'm going to tell you why. Because this is the land of opportunity like no other place. This is it. This is the land of opportunity. And this is you have demonstrated it. You have demonstrated it with your hands. Now, let me tell you something. This is why so many people want to come to the United States. And I will promise you this. If I did not live in the United States of America, I'd be trying to get here as fast as I could. I would be. I would be trying to get here as fast as I could, and I'm going to tell you, the moment I got inside the United States, I'd be coming to Texas as fast as I could. (laughs) I would be. I would be coming to Texas. You are so spoiled. (laughs) Now, look, what is he saying? Uh, Tell all those who are rich, how many of you are rich? Come on, you're rich. You're spoiled, rotten, rich. So he is talking to you, and listen to what he says. Command those who are rich, you, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. You see, the Bible's antidote to loving money is to be generous. Generosity changes how we view money and brings balance to our lives. Generosity kills the love of money. It destroys the love of money. And this is why it's so important. It's God and generosity. The first part of that generosity that God speaks to the lives of Christ followers is the generosity to give back to God. What we call, what the Bible calls, you know, Old Testament, New Testament, the tithe. That word tithe means 10% of all that we get. Listen to what he says in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord by giving him the first part of all your income. Deuteronomy 14, 23. The purpose of tithing, there's the word, it means 10%. It's it is it is a word, a Hebrew word that means 10%. The purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your life. So why the tithe? Why is this so important to God? Because what this does is, is that it kills the love of money and it forces you to put God ahead of you. And there it is. So when I say I'm a a follower of Christ and when I say no God, It means that I'm not trusting God because to trust God is being willing to say to God, I'm going to obey you because you're my source. When I look at this church, I'm just being honest with you. When I look at this church, it's the most giving church I've ever seen in my whole life. It's the most generous group of people I have ever witnessed in my whole life. And the first thing I want to say to you is thank you so much. Thank you so much for being so generous as a church. Now, let me tell you this. I don't know who gives in this church and who does not give, and neither does any other pastor, not one pastor. Do you know why we made a decision? When I first came here, made a decision, I would not know who gives. This was true in all my other churches too, but... I would not know who gives and who doesn't give. And if you give a whole lot of money and I didn't send you a thank you note, it's because I did not know. I didn't know. And no other pastor is allowed to know who gives and who doesn't give and how much people give. Why? Because we're just human beings and I know me and I know us and we would be tempted to treat one person better than another person on the base of money and that would be ungodly to do it. But we'd be tempted to do it. And so we said, no, we're not going to do this. And I've had pastors tell me, you are one dumb pastor to say this to people because they at least they ought to think you're checking. No, I don't care because this has to be in your heart. See, I know the Holy Spirit is stronger than me, and I don't have to control. So I'm being upfront with you. This is the way it is. I don't know if you give or don't give, and if you don't give, do not Tell me. I don't want to know. I don't want to have to now deal with that. But here's what I want to say to you, most giving people I've ever known in my life. And I'm so grateful to you. Sometimes we need to be reminded, well, where did this money go and what what happened with it and what what took place? And I want to just share with you very quickly just some things because I want you I wish I had two hours and you're glad I don't, but I have just so many stories that I could say to you. But listen to this. First of all, a year ago, a year ago, I shared with this church about our ministry that emerged called Hilltop of Hope in Mumbai, India, where we had an opportunity, our teams, to lead some women to Christ who were in human trafficking and they were locked in and it was not their choice but they were they were locked into that and to share Christ with them and they came to know Christ as Savior and we were able to help pull them out of human trafficking. And yea, God for that but what do they do now for a living? What do they do? And emerge this idea had to come from the very heart of God. Emerge this idea well it starts this business model in which These young ladies could learn a skill of making bags. I don't even know where this came from. Out of the heart of God, they could learn how to make really nice bags and that we could help them sell the bags, and then they they could have profit. And so what do we do? Our church bought commercial sewing machines and commercial generators for electricity, and we took it to them and we started this business model, and now they're making these bags, and we got all these bags everywhere, and many of you have bought some of these bags. They're really beautiful. They're really amazing. I bought a couple of Mother's Day for Kathy, and and you bought other bags, and other churches are now doing this. The Word has gotten out there. It is absolutely amazing what is happening, and now we've got about 40 young ladies in Mumbai who have been brought out of that horrendous lifestyle and now are self-sufficient, and it's because you gave. You gave. And guess what? It has become so, so successful. We're starting this now in Bogota, Colombia, and already 14 young ladies have come to know Christ as Savior, and we're going to do that model right there in Bogota. humanly speaking. I know God's in the middle of all of this, I don't want to take any glory from God, but humanly speaking, it would have never happened had you not given. You did this. At Darrington Prison, 26 miles from our church is a maximum security prison, and our church has had such an amazing ministry there because this was a dream and a vision of Gary Hill, our administrator in this church, and he got this thing started and it is absolutely amazing what has happened over these last many years at Darrington Prison. So many touch points, so many t- ministries that have emerged out of n- nowhere has now is now happening at Darrington Prison and so much so that the warden said to us that the whole culture of Darrington Prison has been changed. And a major part of that is because of Sugar Creek Baptist Church. (laughs) Who could have ever dreamed that in a maximum security prison, this could have happened? I'm going to tell you so many of these guys have come to faith in Christ and growing and maturing in their walk with Christ. In fact, even in solitary confinement. We've now had 77 prisoners in solitary confinement who have given their heart to Christ and have followed Him in believer's baptism. And we, our staff, have had the opportunity to baptize them in, from <laughs> maximum security. It's unbelievable. So, just recently, some of our pastors have gone there and now are teaching 40 guys who are their lives are turned around they're walking with the lord they're loving the lord teaching 40 guys how to start a connect group in prison a connect group is a bible study we got them all over this campus and 40 guys how to start a bible study in Darrington Prison, and the hope is that by the end of December, we'll have 40 Bible studies going on in which they're inviting other prisoners, sharing Christ with them in Bible study, teaching them the Word of God, and by the end of next year, hopefully over 100 Bible studies are going on at Darrington Prison. I'm going to tell you, you give it a few more years, and it will turn that prison upside down. And it is happening because you gave because you gave to this budget in our church. Our youth ministry just took 178 students to camp. And 21 of them accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. And 20 others said, look, I've accepted Christ as my Savior. I've never followed Him Believer's Baptism and said, I want to be baptized. And 40 Eight of these students just would come to worship with their family, but now I want to be a part of Bible study too because I now have met all these other kids. I know more of these kids. I I want to be a part of the Bible study. Seventy of these kids that went to camp did not have all the resources enough, their parents, to be able to go to camp, but you sent them to camp through our budget. You sent, you, you sent them to camp this summer. You made that happen. And I just want you to know this is what you are, this is what you are doing. A single mom received an invitation to an Easter egg hunt. You know we do these Easter egg hunts the Saturday, two Saturdays before Easter, and we do them all over this region. And some of our members did an Easter, got together, did an Easter egg hunt at uh, at one of the apartment complexes, and a single mom got an invitation, an Easter egg hunt, took her kids, and it was such an amazing moment. And now, this single mom is a member of this church and the family a member of this church, and you made that happen through this budget. We switched cleaning companies, uh, and all of our facilities, both campuses, are cleaned by a cleaning company. A lot of, a lot of business do, businesses do that. We, we have done that. And we switched cleaning companies. And the new cleaning company now came, and one of our pastors began to witness to one of the guys who was in the cleaning group about how he could know Christ. And he said, hey, I, I already know Jesus as my Savior. You know how I came to know Christ? I came to know Christ because I was invited to urban camp by Sugar Creek Baptist Church when I was a kid, and I heard the gospel for the very first time, and I accepted Jesus as my Savior. Yes, you, you made that happen. And this summer, this summer, another 261 of kids came to urban camp and multi-ethnic camp, And we got to share the gospel with them, and many of them came to faith in Christ. And it happened because you gave to this budget. You're making this happen, is what I'm trying to say to you. This year, we have seen over 50 couples attend a pre-marriage workshop. And six of those couples were just living together outside of marriage. Not married, but they came to realize, look... God intends for us to be married, to live in that, in a marriage relationship, not where we are. And they began to be convicted about, I need, I need to go follow through with this. And I need to be married. But they didn't have the money for a wedding. Not a problem at Sugar Creek Baptist Church. Because we took care of their weddings and we paid for the expenses in what we call a free wedding weekend. Did you even know that that existed? Free wedding weekend in which we take care of the expenses because we don't want that to stop you from following through with being married to each other and living in that kind of a union. And you did that because you gave. You gave to this ministry. Over 100 couples have attended our marriage checkup class and some of those who came confided that when they went to this class they had no sense of hope about their marriage. They had already decided we're getting a divorce. But they came to the class anyway to give God one more chance. And some of these couples had already started the divorce process but they changed their mind and forgave each other and decided to stay together. Because you provided this opportunity for them to hear the message of Christ and what God can do for a marriage. You made that happen. We planted a new church in the Bissonnette area that reaches young ladies involved in human trafficking, leading them to Christ, bringing them out of that environment, and it currently meets in the community room of an apartment complex, and over the last 30 days, we've seen nine young ladies commit their heart to Jesus Christ and be baptized because of this ministry. And we are counseling with these young ladies on a regular basis. You made that happen. You made that happen through your giving to this ministry. In a day when many churches are charging, now charging a fee for VBS, we still offer it as a free gift to the community. But our VBS is so humongous that it takes so much money to do it and to do it with excellence like we do it. But this summer we had over 2,700 kids plus adults. Workers over 2,700 that came to VBS and 21 children accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior at VBS. And all these other kids grew and matured and learned more about how God loves them and how they love God and they want God. And you made that happen. Humanly speaking, you made that happen because you gave to this ministry. I'm saying to you, You're making an impact far beyond anything you ever imagined. And listen to this. Every building on both of our campuses had electricity all year long. Every building on both of our campuses had electricity all year long, had water all year long, had natural gas all year long, and had toilet paper all year long. And I'm going to tell you, first service, a giant amen about the toilet paper. All that happened, it just didn't float here. There's no toilet paper floating down from heaven. You made, humanly speaking, I know God's in the middle of all this, humanly speaking, you made that happen. Because you believed so much in this ministry, you gave to this ministry. And here's what I'm going to say, there's no end to the stories. That'll be all I tell, but there's no end to the stories. Alone you can make an impact, but together we're changing our world through Christ. That's what I'm trying to say to you. Every time you give online, every time you give to that offering bucket or whatever it's called, every time you go out and you give to that box that is out there as you're walking out the the up the up the aisle, every time you give to this church, you're grabbing hands with hundreds and thousands of people in this church and You're saying, it matters to me that we touch lives. It matters to me that people's lives change. It matters to me that people come to know Christ as Savior. It matters to me that people grow and mature. It matters to me that we reach people around the world. And you are saying that every single time. I don't know of any other church who is as aggressive and deliberate and efficient as this church and I just want to say a million times over, thank you for giving to the Lord and being a part of this ministry and making sure this ministry happens. Thank you. Last year, At this time, we were having also a capital funds campaign, Reach Beyond, and the idea of it was that it was to be above our tithe that we would give beyond our tithe to this project. 700,000 goes to missions and and, uh, 2.4 million goes to Missouri City to pay off the building note there and 2.6 for Richmond Rosenberg build out. And I'm going to tell you, we pledged $5.7 million, and it's a two-year, but we haven't even got to the end of the first year, and we've already given more than $4 million. I'm just stunned by it. I'm absolutely stunned by it. We've already given over $4 million, and yay God for that. And I'm going to tell you, we're just so hoping, oh, God. Help us to go beyond what our pledges were because we had twice as many people sign up to do the Richmond-Rosenberg campus than we originally thought. It's going to take twice as much for the build-out. It's the way it is. But we're asking God to meet the need. If you looked on the back of the worship guide and you saw on a regular basis, you would notice, yay, we're over 4 million with reach." but we're under a half a million dollars in our budget target. Oh, no. You don't have to do, oh, no. We never spend more than we bring in. But we wonder because we thought, wow, this budget would be so easy to reach, and we made it so easy, so low for us. And how is this not happening? So, No pastor knows who gives and who doesn't give, but the finance committee—I mean, no, 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 the finance committee doesn't know either. But the finance office knows. Somebody's got to know. Somebody's got to handle the money. But they—they sign a a guarantee, a, a promise. They would not tell one pastor or one member of the finance committee or one human being. Can't tell anybody. And they hold to that. Boy, they do hold to that. But they did a research. Why is this? Why, why are we struggling to reach our budget this year? And what they, here's what they determined. They went through it all and they said, there's one reason we're not reaching a budget. Uh, that 500000 that did not go to budget is going to reach. And that's what's happening. The tithe has been switched from the church budget to reach. I want to say, I I thank God for everyone that's given. I do, I do, I do. I'm going to ask you this next fiscal year, would you not do that? And here's why. We're not going to raise the budget because we're not reaching this budget. We're not going to raise the budget. But next year, we got three campuses to take care of instead of two. And if we have a shortfall next year, we'll be in trouble. And here's what I want to challenge you to do. Would you consider, I won't know what you do, but would you consider, Giving your tithe to this budget, and if you give to reach beyond, make that above your tithe. Just like Kathy and I are doing, many, most others are doing. Would you consider that? I won't know one way or another what you do. I want to end it with this statement in First Timothy chapter six, verse nineteen. In this way, we will lay up treasure for themselves. They will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And the bottom line is what Paul is saying is this. When we give, God sees and God blesses us back. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for all that you're doing in the life of this church. Oh, God, thank you for how you're blessing Sugar Creek, and God, help us to keep using every dime frugally because we're doing it in you. And keep blessing, keep changing lives, keep touching people, and help us to be a part of it all. Teach us how to let you be our source. Teach us how to give generously. Lead us. Help us to see our resources with new eyes. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.